0: good afternoon, good evening. It may be the middle of the night. Who knows what time it is when you're listening? That's that's something I love about the podcast. And as I say that, I'm reminded of when I recorded Talk With Me with Brenton Booth, who is in Australia. And for me, it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And for him, it was 2 o'clock in the morning when we started. So we recorded his time 2 to 3 a.m. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And it was a blast. So not only can the recording be at different times for our guests and me, but you can listen anytime, which is cool. I hope everybody knows that the Talk With Me podcasts are on iTunes and Google Play and on a Podbean Talk With Me area. And the older ones are on Mixcloud. And so enjoy Enjoy, enjoy, and and f- feel free for you who are artists to say, hey, I would love to do this podcast, and for people who say, I know this person, and I'd love to have you have them on your podcast because I'd love to hear them talk about their art. All of that is good, and an easy way to reach me is through the Talk With Me Facebook page. Anyway, today is... Getting to the end of August, which is blowing me away because also it's cool in Lawrence, Kansas on August 29th, 2018, that's unusual. And August and September and October, November, so much cool stuff, wonderful stuff is going on. I always try to remind people, hey, get out, find out what's going on, go to events, meet new people, go places where you don't always go, you know, connection is so, so important. And there are lots of ways that I could talk about that. But instead, I want to just turn us over to our guest and the conversation that we are going to have. And because we're starting with a little rush and I didn't ask my guest exactly how to say her name, (laughs) I'm just going to say I have this cool guest who recently did a reading at the Raven Bookstore, my favorite bookstore, the independent bookstore here in Lawrence, Kansas. Welcome, Crystal and... Tell us how to say your name. (laughs) Hi. Last name is Boson, like the
1: Higgs Boson. All
0: right. And you are a poet. You are a person who's a writer. And and I never want to imply that art of one kind or another is the sum of who a person is. But uh, it is because of your book and your recent reading that you came to my attention. And I said, oh, I want to talk to her. Tell us a little bit about you before we start into a more in-depth conversation.
1: Yeah, um, that's always an interesting question. I just kind of describe myself as kind of a weirdo. (laughs) So that's an easy, quick description. But yeah, I had a weird point in my life. I used to be a college professor and then I quit. And so that was my whole life plan gone. And now I have a corporate job, which is interesting. Ah, okay. but so being a writer and being a storyteller is really kind of at the heart of who I am and what I do and what I value. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always a writer, always a storyteller. And then whatever I have to do to pay the bills is what works.
0: Uh-huh. And that seems to be the life of the artist, right? That sadly, there's something, there are these skewed things about this world of um, United States of America that we live in where things that are of high value don't necessarily get earnings that support that. And that is a challenge. I right? it's that there are so many challenges in the world. We can't tackle them yeah. all, but, but I, I, I am such a believer that we show what's really important to us by how we spend our time and how we spend our money. You know, what, what do we do? What, what do we really do? Not just what do we say we do, you know? And yeah. So, there's something art is so important and sometimes i i i think i have to remind people word art writing is art it's not something else it is art right and it's yeah. so important and there's so many ways we benefit from experiencing somebody's story somebody's poetry somebody's writing you know whether we get to hear them read part of it at the mic or we're reading it on the page you know, I, I literally think about people I know who say that when life was so complicated and hard and they were a kid and felt really alone, it was reading that made the difference. And sometimes it was the school librarian who welcomed them to hang out after school. You know, it was it there's so much that they got from being able to read and get that, that reminder that there really are people out there who understand things that they're experiencing
1: yeah I definitely was was one and still am one of those
0: people where
1: reading has always been my safe haven even now like poetry is other poets are who I turn to I need my life to make sense like yeah this is
0: Uh
1: an art that
0: saves people and I'm really proud and happy to be part of it yeah and and how did you how did you start being a person who put art of word out in the world as opposed to only a person who's a reader? Because for me, (laughs) I'm a reader. I'm a talker. I'm not a writer.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm really lucky. My dad was a poet, still is a poet. Uh My dad wrote amazing poetry for my mom. I was like, oh, this is a thing you can do. And I just, I always had teachers as a kid who encouraged me to write and put stories out there and, tell my stories and after I did a little trial and error trying to figure out what my medium is like my fiction is terrible Ah. I'm not a good fiction writer but I'm a great storyteller and I was like poetry makes sense to me poetry is well my poems specifically are like these dense little gifts that I can put into the world and so it just it was an art form that kind of found
0: me and it makes me feel at home. Oh, beautiful. I'm I'm intrigued that you said you had teachers who encouraged you only because <laughs> I don't think I ever had a teacher before some people I encountered in college who who encouraged me in any way. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I I didn't grow up in America. I'm an army kid and so we lived abroad for most of my young adult life. And part of being a weirdo is being like the only black kid and one of the only Americans in a school in Germany Uh, where (laughs) didn't have a lot of friends. And then moving back from Germany to Texas and being the black kid with a German accent in Texas. Oh, wow. Yeah. So being a weirdo is kind of central to who I am and like, well, the other kids think I'm a weirdo, but the adults see that's okay. And they want to encourage me to explore and really take root in who I am. And so I was really lucky to have really great teachers and amazing teachers in college and amazing people in grad school. Like, I've been lucky all the way down.
0: That is lucky. That's great. So I have to ask, what part of Texas did you land in after Germany? Oh, Houston. Okay. <laughs> I, well, the reason I ask is because um, there's no question that I'm aware of. There's no question about that. But I grew up in the Texas Panhandle and the- Oh man! In <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, anyway.
1: Yeah. So I. I yeah. I I can understand. <laughs> handle's rough
0: (laughs) it is and it's funny because my my mom's family her parents were in kansas city which is how where we ended up bouncing back and forth as my mom struggled in her personal life with marriages and such and and my my explanation of the way that i speak is that i had to learn how to speak english when i moved to
1: kansas city yeah (laughs) yeah it's I mean Texans basically its own thing. You kind of <laughs> just I still I talked to my reading the other day how conversate is a perfectly legitimate word. <laughs> and yeah. 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 Totally so, interesting.
0: Yeah, so Texas works. wow. Did you did you know when you started college that writing was what you wanted to do? So have, did you start studying that from from that point on?
1: Um no, I've My academic background is really weird, actually. I went to Mizzou to be a journalism major and quit that after a week Ah. and bounced around a lot just in English because what else was I going to do? Okay. (laughs) Um, In my master's program, I really found African-American literature, and that was my master's. And then my doctorate is in cultural studies, where it combines race, sexuality, and gender studies. Ah. So I've never really formally studied writing. I've been super fortunate where I got into Cave Canem, and I got into Callaloo, and I did the Rhode Island Rhode Island Writer's Colony, which was the best thing I've ever done in my entire life, honestly. And But I've never really formally studied poetry a lot, except for a couple of classes in grad school.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'm not one of those... People who study poetry, well, I study poetry. I constantly read it. I'm constantly engaging with it, but I never went to school to be a poet.
0: Mm -hmm. And so when you were teaching, what were you teaching? Um,
1: African-American literature, um, American culture, American studies, gender and sexuality. Yeah. I mean, my work, my academic work always reflects the things I write about, but I'm I was my academic work is very theory and race and sexuality based and religion based,
0: Mm -hmm. which is literally also all of my. Yeah. And so how did you decide that you, you who had had really good experiences with teachers at different levels in your life, how did you decide that that wasn't the thing for you to be doing?
1: I mean, while I've had really good experiences with, Teachers, I've also had a lot of really ultra horrible experiences with teachers in higher education and um, grad school was hard for a lot of ways. I went to my doctorate at KU. Um, Left, I was a professor of gender and sexuality studies at Oregon State. And quite frankly, that was terrible. It was awful. (laughs) A lot of the poems in the book are about it, actually. Like, it was, I mean, I got my master's in conservative parts of Texas at Texas A&M. And so I was like, okay, I know exactly what racism and overt hate feels like until I went to Oregon. And not only from, like, the population and the town, but from the other professors in the department. I was like, oh, Oh, y'all ultra hate black folk and you ultra hate me, and you ultra hate your few black students, and I'm not here for this uh, life.
0: No. Oh,
1: no. Yeah. So I was like, I'd rather quit the thing. I worked my entire life to get to than stay here with you. So I literally just packed up my house over a summer with my partner, and we left.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, just walked away.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I, I regret nothing.
0: Good for you. Yeah. Like, did
1: the they right suck, thing. and I hate them, <laughs> and yeah. I'm really happy I never have to see any of them again.
0: Uh-huh. And it's so, when you said that, you never regret it. It's, this is a very different issue, but I want to just say, I, one of our sons quit playing high school baseball the spring of his senior year, and <laughs> wow. he told his coach the reason he was quitting was because of the way the the coach was treating the players. And he gave some examples of that and said that he couldn't tolerate, he couldn't couldn't play for this coach anymore. And the coach's response was, this is the decision you're going to regret most (laughs) in your life. And and he no. <laughs> told me that it's like, I love you so much. You are so awesome. And fuck that coach. <laughs> yeah.
1: I was like, if that's the if that's the worst decision you regret, that's a really amazing life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he never regretted it. He knew yeah. he did the right thing standing up for people. It's like, ah, oh, you are that's that's that's
1: good. phenomenal.
0: Yeah. They- <laughs> it, yeah, it's so I was thinking that's probably what those people thought. Like, she's going to be so sorry she left. Oh, yeah. Season. Oh, man. Again, no I should way. have been
1: grateful and I should have just <laughs> shut up and put up with it and that I was a bad person for leaving them. I'm like, I hate y'all.
0: <laughs> y'all are
1: terrible. <laughs> okay, I want to hear a poem about this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um What page is this one on? <laughs> There's two, and I can read both of them because all of my poems are the shortest things on earth. Okay. Um, so this first one, and it's really tied to just the place, because I write about geography a lot. This one's called Oregon Goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> if you had loved me, you wouldn't have sent me north. They got no blood, got no salts, got no scripture, no teeth. There ain't anything here. Settling in is a fire ant on the meat part of your thigh. Heading out is the devil about to lay hands on his wife.
0: Wow. Wow, wow, wow.
1: And the second organ poem, and there's a funny, like not funny haha, but funny what is wrong with you people story about that. Uh-huh. Up in Oregon, they love to still say the words colored to describe Black people, like they are racist with time machines. It's like, I haven't heard that word since the 60s. Wow. So where did you even get this language from? Are you time traveling racist? Yeah. Wow. And so in my, very, in my second collection, I had a poem called To Our New Diversity Hire, which was talking about my time at Texas A&M. And so for Oregon State University, I wrote to our new colored hire We bought you and we brought you here. There is no north left to run up to. So settle in and work. Wow. So that's how I feel about Oregon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and I don't know what your experience had been in terms of how to predict what it was, but there's this, I think, sort of false image of...
1: Oh, yeah, of liberal Oregon, and yeah, yeah, I didn't, I knew, it was like, oh, Oregon will be a white only water fountain, and there will be three other black people. Wow. I didn't know the history of Oregon. Where it was founded as like a white-only state, and it was in their state constitution. I didn't know that. where the Klan was found. Like Oregon has a horrible racist history, and now they gentrify historically black neighborhoods, kick those people out, and put up Black Lives Matter signs. Uh,
0: that's Oregon. Yeah, and and my glimpse came when the same sign I was mentioning moved to Oregon, to Portland specifically, and then started telling us about what what it was really like there and some of that history within the city of Portland and yep. the discrimination that was the roots of that. And it's like, wow, that this, not, I mean, I, so, I think sometimes when I think about institutionalized racism, I think of it as, okay, it's become a societal norm, but we really were talking about language in these different kinds of laws and zoning things Uh things that said, no, you can't go here. You can't. Yeah. Oh, wow. I had no clue. No clue until. Yeah, until Yeah.
1: I did not know how pervasive and how insidious racism was. Like I knew, but like Oregon is a special kind of racism that even small town Texas didn't get me ready for.
0: Wow. very sad yeah so we're real happy in kansas city (laughs) well that's good so so you've found community in kansas city that feels good for you that feels like a respectful good place to be
1: um yes and no um i mean america is what it is right now yeah and as a queer black woman the thing i'm trying to do the most in my life is privilege my own pleasure and privilege my own happiness Uh Because, like, that is a revolutionary thing to, like, actually try to be happy in this world. Uh And so I'm finding and connecting with community, both here and other places. I'm living in my art and writing and loving and reading other writers. Like, I'm just choosing to find joy here. Uh And there's a lot of really good things to find joy in, in a lot of really great spaces. We'll see how I do in the winter when it gets cold because I am, I'm still Texas. I'm like I can't go below eighty.
0: <laughs> <Uh-oh>.
1: <laughs> yeah, today is already too cold for me. I'm done.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. So this is obviously coming into your first winter in Kansas City. From what you just said, that you're- well, it's not my first
1: winter here. I went to KU and we were here last year, but every winter it's just. Okay. It's a brand new and terrible experience every time. (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, I hate this. And my partner loves the cold. He's like, let's open the windows. And I'm like, no. (laughs) So, yeah, every year it's this fight. (laughs) And every year half of us are miserable for half of the year. And, yeah, it's an adventure. Yeah. This is what love is.
0: Oh, so is your partner perhaps the reason that Kansas City is your home at this point? Um, actually, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Like, ben has been the best person ever. And we met in grad school mm-hmm. at KU because my advisor figured maybe if I loved someone, I'd be less mean to the other grad students who would say racist to me. No, that's literally what happened. My People were saying mean things to me and so I was hurting people's feelings and my advisor was like okay let's find you someone (laughs) and so shoved Finn at me and I was like I'm not gonna fall in love with this person we get married and I turned the corner I was like oh this is it Ah. like I knew from the second I saw them that we were getting married and Ah. and then Finn followed me to Oregon (laughs) And that was terrible. And then Finn followed me to D.C. because I wanted to be as far away from Oregon as possible. So Uh we moved to D.C. Uh And then November of 2016 happened. And I was like, I don't want to live here anymore. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But I've also dragged you across the country twice. You get to pick where we're going this time. And Finn picked Kansas City. And we're really happy here.
0: Interesting, interesting, interesting. So in Kansas City, I think about Kansas City from the perspective of knowing poets and writers who were part of things like um, kind of a, I think of Prospero's Bookstore as a hub and a yeah. center performance space and this thing the the Fountain Verse Casey Small Press Poetry Fest. Oh, didn't know that was a thing. Know about that? Oh my gosh! Okay, so October twelfth through fourteenth. There's this weekend, mid-October weekend, and people. Um, there's a Fountain verse um, website, and there's a Facebook page, and the website has the schedule. They they have people from presses from across the USA, from artisan presses, small presses, and then Wolfgang Karsten's from Canada coming down, and poets from all over, and featured poets, and workshops on getting published, and and just bringing together poets and this is the third time for an event like this although this is the biggest um, that's amazing event. yeah it is really amazing so yeah you definitely want to you know if you, if you are in town in Kansas City that weekend to try to to do that you know get get over there so the connections I mean it's it's like summer camp for poets <laughs>
1: Yeah, I love poetry summer camp and...
0: yeah. It's yeah, like come hang out, hang out here and do this stuff and you know some you know trade books with people who mm. who you are intrigued by and they're intrigued by you and just have a blast. So that community, I mean, I, I that's that's my sort of part of the poetry community in Kansas City. And I know there's the Writer's Place and there's lots of lots of different stuff going on. But there's this contemporary poetry scene that is really vibrant in Kansas City. So, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be one of the reasons to be glad you're there. Hopefully, and yeah. As I say that you'll go. And go. I had this experience of people, and they sucked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, like I. <laughs> Yeah, I love being around other poets, even though, like, I'm a desperate introvert, and Uh, yes,
0: Yes. yeah,
1: like, talking, and being a person is always very hard for me, but, like, I love other poetry events, and I also recognize that all of us are just people who have people stuff, like, sometimes we're fussy, sometimes we're hungry and rude, sometimes, like, sometimes we take ourselves too seriously, but at the end of the day, we're just people doing the work we love, and that's what
0: matters. And within that set of people, there are some poets It's like, and I don't like and respect you. <laughs> yep. And there are people who it's like, and your work sucks as far as I'm concerned. Yep. But there are these other people. Because <laughs> I think about that. I think about that even in, in doing this show. I've, I've gotten to meet so many people. And some of them it's like, no, I'm not talking to you
1: again. <laughs> yeah. <But>
0: that's rare. <laughs>
1: I mean, I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with like just letting people live their lives and that comes to their poetry. I got a question at uh-huh. the reading where, like, what do I write about and why do I write the things I write? Uh-huh. And the answer I gave was I don't get the privilege of being alone in my body. Like, I'm a Black queer fat Southern writer. <laughs> I write uh-huh. stories for, like, all the Black queer women who are ignored and all the women who are ignored and all, like, People who are marginalized, people in my family who didn't get educations to tell their own stories. Like, I'm writing, Uh I have the responsibility to tell stories for all the people who can't. I don't get to, like, write about my cat and my mailboxes. Like, I don't get to write selfish poetry. But if Uh you want to write poetry about things that are just very tied to you, and, like, that's fine, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't ever want to talk about anyone else's process or their art's. Mm-hmm. But, I just know, like for me, I have to write the stories of other people because that is my job. Mhm mm-hmm. that is my like passion is being a generational arc and like holding all these stories in me and like helping them survive.
0: That's beautiful, So how about sharing a couple more of those stories through poetry?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm gonna read. Two of my favorite poems, and these poems will always be my favorite. And one of them is like one of those generational memory poems where mm-hmm. both and women do not tolerate abuse, like verbally, physically, we know. And we have family stories where if women don't have like the proper legal channels to fight back, they find other ways. And that came into this poem called Backsliding. Mm-hmm mostly rains hard when you're sleeping comes down mean as the branch peeled green down to a switch waiting for an ass by the back porch we can't baptize in floods this here ain't a sprinkle this here ain't a dunk seems like god is a woman who cooks hate grits at night Like I love the idea of hate grits. Uh-huh. Because if someone's if you're expected to do domestic work and if you're expected to cook and provide for your family, and like that's your only outlet, and that's your only really way of protecting yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A pot full of hot grits into someone's ear at night is a really good defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So I love that idea of making the domestic your salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, another story we have is bosons always live on high ground. Like, I live in Kansas City on the north side of the river on top of a hill <laughs> from uh-huh. the very highest point I can. Like uh-huh. the idea, I write about floods a lot, and the idea of floods terrify me because it's just an ultimate act of maliciousness. Uh-huh. And what does it mean, especially for, I have family in Houston, I have family in Louisiana. What does it mean for Black folks to survive floods and survive in these impossible situations where the whole world and sometimes even God are just like,
0: I hate you, you have to die. And by the way, that's why we made you live there because you'd be at risk. Yeah.
1: Basically, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And so I'm. my works are always... God haunted and water haunted, basically. It's a really good way to put it. And so I wrote God willin and the creek. Ah. Granddaddy paid for this land. And these trifling ass levees can't hold an piss. We got water, rot, and no floor. We ain't leaving this house. Crawdads in the carpet means we ain't gonna starve. Go on, wait out the rain. We can't move on out. What the devil moves in?
0: Yeah. So, in your family, because as you you say, you know that that you're telling generational stories, and you mentioned that your dad wrote poetry, that your dad was a poet. Were you around extended family and hearing stories?
1: Um, Not till I got older, actually. We grew up in abroad for you know, most of my young life. Yeah. And then we came back to the States and kind of just reconnected with family. And I'm still in the process of reconnecting with family,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is always a weird thing to do as an adult, especially since I'm very different <laughs> than most of my family mm-hmm. when they've Most of them have really taken to this like loving me and loving Finn and figuring out how to be a family despite that I'm a weirdo. (laughs) That's basically what it comes down to. And so I'm also the last born of the last born on both sides, actually. Uh And so it's kind of my job to collect these stories and collect who we are and be a hub for all of this.
0: So, in your generation, are you saying no one has children too?
1: Um, I have one cousin who does now. Uh huh. Yeah, but most of our, like most of my swath of folks, yeah, none of us, except for one person, has kids. Uh huh. Well, now that there's two of us, my sister has a stepson now, and I,
0: but yeah.
1: And they're not coming from me.
0: well and whether they come for you but but in terms of in your your how your life progresses you don't see children being part of your life at some point i don't know children
1: I, mean. <laughs> I honestly that's a really it's a question i think a lot about because my partner is white and i always think about what it would mean for them to raise a black child mm-hmm. and yeah I'm like i don't know if we as a family are ready for that. Mm -hmm. And I also, just in terms of me having a kid, I had, I, yeah, I watched someone give birth once and so I was like, nope, nope. (laughs) Hard no. I was also born with a full set of teeth and so I don't want some major two shark baby gnawing on me. (laughs) That's great. And yeah, like I might adopt when I'm a grown up and have my life together, but also that
0: <laughs> I'm not a grown up right now. Yeah. And and I I, I was by no means pressuring, but I think, oh, no. no and I know I was thinking that to have a family generation, you know, that, that youngest generation, not having children, and I don't know how many people are in your, that generation. That a young. billion of us. It, it, that's very interesting to me that that's so only two have children in their lives in terms of in their own family yeah you know. but I feel like I have the best of all worlds because there are
1: and not that they're my children like I'm infantilizing them but I have former students who
0: uh-huh.
1: I still love and keep in contact with who constantly support me and I support them and yeah I mean, I feel like having children is planting gardens that you won't get to see. But <laughs> like, really, you're planting seeds in people and helping them yeah. grow. But like, you won't be around for them forever, right? And that's also kind of how I felt about teaching, where I got to plant seeds and people that I won't ever get to see. But uh huh, like, it's both helping them grow and in some ways to carry my own mortality, immortality through other people. Uh
0: huh. So. Do you, are you looking for what the next way will be that you will have that? Yes. In a relationship, yeah.
1: Yeah, like I'm, yeah, I always, I'm trying to find better ways for me personally to give back to the community. And there's, there's a passion project I have, I love, I just don't know how to do it here yet. So if you know of any places where that teaches kids how to cook, so I can like pass down, cooking and stories at the same time to kids and give them a skill like that's I love that so I need that to be a thing uh-huh
0: yeah that's the kind of work I would love to do and so I think about well for example if you if you wanted to do something like that um with queer youth in particular then, yes you know okay so I can I can send you if since you probably don't already know it, I can send you the, the information about the, the main longstanding support for queer youth in Kansas city. And, yes. and maybe at some point you can go, Hey, I want to do this thing. I want to cook and have storytelling with these kids. I want to be able to do this thing together. What do you guys think? Let's make this happen. <laughs> yes. Let's please, please,
1: please, please let's do that. That would be yeah. amazing. Yeah,
0: and and I do I do have that information out at the top of my head, but so in Lawrence on October twentieth, we're hosting these these two guys, um, James Lassine and Ryan Amador, who are um, queer artists who do this project called Future Perfect Project, and it's a storytelling and songwriting workshop for queer youth, and so when I was talking to James he's in New York and Ryan's in California and they're coming to do this thing and they don't charge to do it and so the youth will get to do it with no no charge and we're we're you know figuring out food and all this stuff there's a set of us who are who are planning this thing Um, and so I I contacted um, one of my friends in Kansas City Jen Harris who's a poet oh yeah well, okay, so Jen had been on the board of this organization, and then she, she and Paula were living in Denver, and you know, she's back in city, blah blah blah. But anyway, so Jen said, Oh, here and, and MG Salazar, they said, You know, here, here are the people that you want to talk to. So I have, I do have that information. Um, and I thinking if I talked about it, I remember, but I can't think of the name, of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so cool, because see, this is my thing. Okay, so I'm the social worker who's my, my as I say to my friends, my, my job is helping people stick around, learn stuff, so that they can have life that they are glad to live with.
1: Yes. You know?
0: that, that's what, to me, suicide prevention is about. It's not just say, no, don't do this stuff to kill yourself, but let's figure out how to help you have the life that you realize there are some great things and yeah, there's some shit that happens to all of us, but there are great things and I'm glad to be alive, you know? Yeah. And so I think about, well, doing like the cooking and storytelling, doing that thing with youth, then you're going to have youth who don't have that positive nurturing adults. As I, as I said to a friend of mine who started working in the high school here with kids with, different behavior issues, and, and um, some developmental disabilities, autism, and different things, you know, I said, you know, you're one of those people who you look those kids in the eyes, and you see the light in them, and you reflect that back to them, and that is a gift that stays with them all of their lives, you know, yeah. it's like, and and some of us as kids don't have those people around us readily, you know, we don't, that's not our family, that's not our teachers, that's not the adults that we're with most of the time, but then somehow we are brought with this adult who is that person. And I think that's that's part of what sustains us and that lets us cope with the things that are going on until we can get out of the environment that we're in. Because, you know, if you're 10 years old, you don't really have the option of living on your own. You have have to wait it out for a while. So, so I love, I love this thing of let's do things together. Let's bring people together, you know, not for lectures, but for real life experiences together. Yeah. And for kinship and for,
1: I mean, the idea of just storytelling the bad things too was so
0: important. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's just giving voice to those stories where this is, When I went to Kaveekana, they talk about the thing called the hard poem. And you write the poem about the thing that is too painful to talk about. You write the thing that has been eating you alive. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it's not to replace therapy because I firmly advocate and believe in therapy. Mm-hmm. but it's this idea of storytelling and putting in the world and giving a voice not only to your experience but for all the people who don't know how to voice the thing that they're suffering through right Right.
0: right.
1: yeah like, Yeah. I feel like poetry is for me so good for that and mm-hmm. yeah like in the bitter map the whole bitter map is a collection of that but like I wrote my hard poem and put it like in the very middle of the collection <laughs> mhm I was like, well, we have to give voice to these things for other people, not just ourselves.
0: Right, right. That's beautiful. Tell, I have talked, I'm trying to think. um, Natasha Rhea Elscary is another poet in Kansas City, and I don't know if you've met her yet. I have not. Okay, because I'm sure that when I first met her and we were talking about things, that she's also part of Cave Canem. Can you tell us some about that? Because I'm actually not at this moment. It's yeah. Like, yeah I recognize the name, but it's not, my brain's not firing going, oh, yeah, that's what that is.
1: Yeah, Cave Canem is, <laughs> I mean, amazing and life-changing. What it was for me, what it is on paper is, it is a hub for Black poets to come together and share and write and just be in a space of blackness where you don't have to explain who you are and your art to others like it's just a community for black art to get together and it's it was so life-changing for me in so many ways one i did this on the tale of oregon where i was one uh. of three black people in a space like that in the rhode island writers colony which i still plug that as the best thing on earth honestly but cave is this black art space and i met the most amazing writers and poets. And I'm going to plug my best friend on earth, Kim Marshall, who I met there, who writes these amazing poems and helped me nurture my own artistic voice. Like it's a place for a community where you get together and you just are yourself and be yourself and write without the pressures of having to explain who you are or how you do it. Or, like, mm-hmm. no, this poem is not about slavery. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a great space. I love it.
0: And and I love what you just said. And it's kind of weird, but, it parale- but it, part of what I love about it is it parallels this thing that last night was a meeting of the support group that I host for people who've lost loved ones to suicide. And there was somebody who was there for the very first time. And so when they're somebody who's brand new, I, I say a little bit more about sort of what this thing is that you've, the space that you've just walked into. And and one of the things that I was saying is that, you know, this is a place and it's, it's this parallel to what you just said. This is a place where everybody in the room gets that there's this experience that we've all had of losing loved ones to suicide. And that changes us in different ways. And it, and it is part of what affects the way we walk through the world from that point on. But it's not the only thing we talk about in this room, because we can also talk about other things that are going on in our lives that are important and hard or good. And everybody also knows that there's that layer that it's different because of that suicide loss, you know, and, and you don't have to say all the words, which is just what you were saying about Kaveh is that it's that place where, there's a there's a level of understanding that's different than in other art spaces.
1: Yeah, you need sometimes in writing the community is what's the same to you. And you need a community of people who understand and can be present with you in every way possible.
0: hmm
1: hmm And so that's what Kaveh is. Mm-hmm.
0: And so are there, like, regional gatherings so that you actually get in, to be in the room with people periodically?
1: Um, it's They have a lot of stuff that's in New York, okay. which I feel is very regional. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like New York writers are very regional writers, but I don't think they consider themselves regional writers. Okay. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff in New York. There are traveling things, but because I have a nine to five, it's a lot harder for me to connect into them. Have the once a year big gathering that I'm going to try to go to this year.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Cool. So I started the conversation with you by email because of your book and your reading. And so I always... Encourage people to buy books? Yes. So tell us a little bit about how people can spend money supporting your work and enjoying it because they then have their own copy on the page.
1: Yeah, this is... My poems are... I'm very much a page poet. I'm like, they look... They do double duty on the page. And so I firmly suggest you buying one. If you are in Lawrence and want to get an autograph copy, I think the Raven bookstore has... Two left, and I might be ordering more, and I'll come and autograph them. Uh So, if you want to run to the Raven and get a beautiful autograph copy with my own personal cartoon signature, you should do that. Oh, yeah. There's also um, the easiest way to buy them right now is through the press, and that's Honeysuckle Press. And I will email you a link after this where, yeah, you can buy them online. There's also a link to it on my Instagram, which is Dr. Boson on mm-hmm. um, like whatever the Instagram thing is and it has that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. on my website which is com, I try to make it easy for people. Yeah, yeah. It has my a link to buy this one and my second chat book, the queer Texas prayer book, which is kind of like a prequel. book. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, <okay>. I <laughs> I'm I'm so haunted by floods, God, and Texas. <laughs> like yeah. it's, those are things I can never really get away from. Even though, yeah, it's so weird how those things from your childhood just constantly mark you, and no matter what you do or no matter how you live, they're always there.
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, honeysuckle press, or my website, or my Instagram. If you want to go through my Instagram, you can see how amazingly cute I looked at my reading
0: on Saturday because I
1: looked All phenomenal. Right. All
0: right. <laughs> so I'm and, and I'm always the big fan of, you know, it's fine to use Amazon to look for information about books, but yeah. from order through your local independent bookseller, wherever you are. Yeah, this isn't on Amazon
1: yet. So if you yeah, not on Amazon. Strictly through the press
0: right now. So that's good. I just I, I i know that there's more of the the price of a book that goes to the author and the small press when you buy yeah. it as close to them as possible, folks. And so please do point. that. Yeah, <laughs> I heard Danny Kane at the Raven. I was walking out after buying some stuff, and he was talking to somebody. And the question of ordering something came up and Danny said something to the effect of, well, the only difference between ordering through Amazon and ordering through Raven is when you order through Raven, we get the money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's important. And like buying
1: from the press helps sustain writers like me who are, I mean, honeysuckle has been great and I'm so indebted to them. Like, I this this collection won one of their chat book contests and I was really blown away by that kind of generosity.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And like supporting the press helps support contests like that that give voice to people like me.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So yeah, do that. Uh-huh. Do that. Do that. Do that. Do that. And and tell people again the name of the book that you're that you yeah. most recently through Honeysuckle.
1: Through Honeysuckle, it's called The Bitter Map.
0: All right, so folks, that's something to look for. Something I will be looking for. I'm compiling this list of books that I need to get, and so usually I'll, I'll call Raven and say, "Hey, you know, can you order this for me?" And I'm thinking this time I'm going to be sending an email. things. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: And you know, it's called the Better Map, and I have Donica Kelly wrote the most amazing blurb for it, but she called it a saturation and a reckoning. And I'm always like, oh, what's this book? I want, oh, that's mine. Oh, that's my... oh. <laughs> like it's always still so flattering and surreal that someone like her wrote that about yeah.
0: mine. Very cool, <laughs> very cool. So you write and you, the way that I understood what you're saying is that for you, it's, it's, like who you are, it's a calling. It's this, this I must do this thing, and and put words out there for these people of generations who are not the people that are always getting represented. And this yeah. is me, and this is my family, and I and I have to do this thing. And and yep. I, like, when did you realize that? It's like, wait, this is this is. This is part of what's going to be with me, part of who I am the rest of my life. Um, Always, I
1: guess. <laughs> I a long time ago, I had an ex describe me as a haunted house, where at first I was pretty sure she meant it as an insult, but she's like, no, you just hold memories.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've always kind of just felt... Like Haunted by this responsibility and not haunted like bad, but haunted like, oh, this is this is just what my life is, and so I've always just carried stories, mm-hmm. and the best way to to have stories is to share them
0: uh-huh,
1: so yeah, like this is just always part of who I am. Uh-huh. It's not really an option uh-huh. I could not be a poet anymore than I could not be black uh-huh. like it's just an experience that's painful and exhausting, but I wouldn't trade for the world.
0: And that's inherent
1: to who I am.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I don't know if that answers your question. No, it's it's it's
0: what you're saying. It's just who you are. Yeah. 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 And, you know, is there, is there something like, does your family recognize that in you? Do they, do they realize this is part of, who you are and what you do, and and what I'm wondering is, do do they make do they maybe talk to you in different ways, tell you more things,
1: knowing um, that it's get out
0: into the world in, in different ways. Depends on who. Some people
1: tell me more. Some people tell me less. Mm-hmm. We're also, yeah, we're also just a very quiet. family. I mean, like my poems are short for a reason because. I've always heard stories in these short bursts where you have to like unpack uh-huh. the truth in like a really quick telling. Uh-huh. And that kind of manifests in how I write things, where it's just, it may be five lines, but those five lines will tear you completely apart.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And so we it's always, I always know things about us. It's just a matter of actually really listening. Uh-huh. I think that's a lost art in this world is listening to other yes. people. Yes. Yes. And so I'm like, I'm constantly collecting stories. I'm constantly collecting the work. I'm just, yeah, I have the gift of being quiet and listening.
0: Uh-huh. And the, the story part is, you know, I think about that and I think about how I am with people that I'm, that I'm working with to help them through things that are going on. And, I I tell real life stories more often than I will say, this is how you do something. I, I might, you know, share, you know, something. And, yeah. and I, I remember somebody I was talking with was talking about a therapist that she'd worked with previously. And, and she said, you know, I I wondered why she talked so much. And then I realized... <laughs> that she was telling me stories to help me heal, to help me learn. <laughs> but it was a different thing than she'd had experienced before. And, yeah. and I was thinking, yeah, that's, that, that's what comes naturally for me a lot of times as people are talking. It's a way of building that connection and empathy and hope, not, not taking over and, and hogging all the time, but sometimes you know, and and I'll tell people this from the other side, which is, you know, as I'm talking and hearing your story, Mm -hmm. there will be a time when that story helps me help somebody else. And I want you to know that because, you know, I, I think that's, sometimes we forget that, that actually our life experiences are, are beneficial to other people. We just Completely, about yeah. The, you know, the, the hard part of it, and they're wishing it hadn't happened. And then to also realize that because you've had the strength to share it in whatever way, you can benefit from some of that release that happens, letting it see the light of day, but also that it can help somebody else who hears it, you know. And that yeah. that, that is really important. That's... So
1: you- yeah, that's why we do what we do.
0: But I want to help people heal from their own trauma through the telling of mine. Yeah. So we only have a few more minutes before you need to to get out to your next responsibility. And I wonder, I, I want to give you that time, you know, the, the next five minutes or whatever before you're too rushed with your next thing. Um, and. If there are if there are uh, poems that you want to oh you know I'd really like to to have people hear this one, or or any other way that you would like.
1: Yeah, um, I have time for two more that I feel like are good ways to close. <laughs> <with A. laughs> okay, well not good but like good ways to just sort of sum up the work I want to do in this experience and just kind of as like that memory thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna finish up with, oh I'm gonna read a Kansas poem actually. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's called 12 Hours as the Crow Flies. You know what a long drive is. It's watching clouds starve themselves from the front seat of your car. Hearing in the shifting in your trunk of red clay dust and dead birds. Listen to the hungry song change from branded meat to dry corn. Mm-hmm. Now both the drought and God are following you home.
0: Yes.
1: And I want to end with my title poem Bitter Map, which is I prayed a lot leaving Oregon and just in the, getting to Kansas because that drive from D.C. to Kansas was rough. And I feel like this sums up all the ideas of storytelling. So here's a bitter map. Good God. All I'm asking for is one damn place. On one damn map. That I
0: won't die in or getting to. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. This has been wonderful, inspiring, thought-provoking, fun—all those good things. And listeners, I, I want you to make sure you know we've been talking. You've been listening. The poet Crystal Boson, B-O-S-O-N. You can find her website. You can find her work through Honeysuckle Press. You're in the Lawrence area. You can probably get one of those copies at the Raven Bookstore, or ask them to get another one for you. It's all good. So thank you so much. Thank you. This has been more than a pleasure. Wonderful. And and thanks, Daniel Smith, who um, does those technical things. So I get the joy of focusing on the guests and listeners. I hope that you're enjoying this as much as we did and keep listening. Keep doing good stuff. Keep buying books. Yes, yes, yes. And so yeah, my, books. You <laughs> my books, my books, my books. <laughs> all right. Thanks. So long.